If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. You'll take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke chapter 19. And I came across this video and I thought, well, this is kind of how we get when it comes to very familiar Bible stories. We kind of check out a little early. And uh, because we assume that we know exactly where it's going to go. And so I brought that up just to tell you, please don't go ADD on me and and act like you already know the end of the story. All right. Set yourself up to hear the word of God today. Set yourself up to hear this story. I believe that there's going to be some fresh light shined on it today. There's going to be revelation for your life and it's going to come alive to you in a new way. And so uh, engage. All right. Everybody ready? All right. Uh, and also just want to say that um, Pastor Charles Neiman is going to be coming here on October the 7th. Please, please be here at that service. I want us to have a real good showing. Um, he is a, one of the great Bible teachers of our time. And has, they just celebrated 35 years of ministry there in El Paso, Texas, where they are at Abundant Living Faith Center. And um, he is, uh, they've just got a tremendous ministry. We go to conference there every year and, and are inspired by their ministry and him and dad are personal close friends, and, um, and he holds Dr. John Holler in high regard as well. Uh, and uh, so I, I just want to encourage you to be here. I think it's going to be a very special night and uh, a very special moment for your life. Amen. I believe that it is a, a divine setup. So don't miss that appointment. Be here. Amen. Be here. Amen. And I'd like to welcome Josh and Sarah Stone King back with us, who were, who were married last weekend, uh, a week ago yesterday, so congratulations to you two. Glad to have you with us. It didn't keep you from going to church. That's good. <laughs> Kept your priorities in line. Also, um, I just, just for those of you who um, might be interested in this today, and I think it might be a few of you, Dr. Holler is going to be preaching at our Dallas location today at 3 o'clock. So we're all going to be going down there together, and uh, he's going to be bringing the word. So very excited about that. And uh, thank you for being here today. You, especially mom, though. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and uh, also, Pastor Everett and Miss Nancy are in Pittsburgh, Texas. Did you know there was such a place? Pittsburgh, Texas, and they're ministering at a church there. So uh, I talked to him on the phone. We prayed together, and they're very excited about being there uh, Dad has got um, a ministry partner there, and so he sent Pastor Everett on a mission to go preach there for him. So we bless him in Jesus' name. I've titled this message today, Joshua is Back in Town. And we're going to see today when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, when they came face to face, number one, we're going to see that Jesus saw him. Number two, Jesus welcomed him. And Jesus changed him. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Where? Isn't that cool? Jericho. That's why I titled it Joshua's Back in Town. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. Where's my friend Brandy? See, I can't even see her. Oh, there she is. So he, she's going to kill me after this service today. Verse 4. 
So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. That is, he has a right to it. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Thank you, Lord for this eternal, eternal word that I have the privilege to stand here and declare to this great church today. Thank you that you grace my lips and I thank you that you give to your people today the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Illuminate this word in our hearts today. Father, I thank you for the power that is in your word. It is an eternal power. It is a right now relevant power for our lives. Hallelujah. And we open up our lives fully to it. We open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and our mind to understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. He saw him, he welcomed him, and he changed him. I want you to notice back um, at the beginning of this, it says that they were in Jericho. And it says what kind of guy Zacchaeus was. He was a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. The short guy in the group got the big job. Tax collectors were not very popular in Jerusalem. Jewish tax collectors were not very popular in Jerusalem, especially because they worked for the Romans to collect, to collect, to collect the tax from their fellow men. All right? So you can understand how the Jew felt about the tax collector. He's supposed to be on their side, yet he's taking money from them for the Romans. All right? So not a very pleasant uh, view of them. As a matter of fact, Jesus got accused of eating with sinners and tax collectors. And he ate with one all the time because one of them was his disciple, Matthew. One of the 12 was a tax collector. I think it's interesting that Jesus took Matthew, the, a tax collector, and then a guy named, who we call Bill, who played Simon the Zealot, in our uh, Living Lord's Supper at Easter time, Simon the Zealot, their whole purpose was to overthrow the Romans. <laughs> overthrow the Romans. Simon the Zealot, and he puts this tax collector, and he puts them in the same group and says, deal with it, boys. Well, I look around church, I see people that normally would not be friends and maybe not even be under the same roof with each other. But the church of the living God is a place where we deal with it. Because we all have this commonality about it. The commonality is we're saved by grace. None of us could earn it. None of us could be good enough. We all understand that Jesus accepted us just like we are. And when we come to a place like this, we really see God's grace. I mean, I knew God could accept me, but Jonna, that's some grace now. That is some serious grace. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. 
well, this, this, is, this is a little bit tougher life, all right? Because not only is he hated by the people, but he's also hated by the people who take money from the people. Yeah. Because he takes money from those guys. He gets a commission off the other tax collectors, all right? So this is a very lonely job. Yeah. And don't you know that, I mean, I'm just trying to guess why he would even pursue a career like this. Maybe it was because he was picked on all of his life. Maybe it was because he was short and got, all, got called all kinds of names, faced ridicule all the time, and then decided, yeah, you're going to get yours. I will be the big man on campus. Maybe not here, but I'm going to take your money. I don't know. Maybe that wasn't the reason, but I think, you know, it's fun to speculate. Either way, it's a very unfeeling job. It's a job that doesn't care about the people's condition. It's a job that doesn't care about their economical problems. It doesn't doesn't care. He's there simply to take taxes, doing his job. And when you do that year after year after year, and when you climb up that kind of corporate ladder and arrive at this place called the chief tax collector, I'm going to just say you've got some walls built up around you. You have had to learn to thicken up your skin You've had to learn to deal with rejection, with criticism, with all kinds of names being, uh, you know, you being called all kinds of names. Those are things that you just have to deal with to get your job done. And no doubt that this, this position of power took some time to come to because, I mean, to be the chief tax collector, you don't just get that overnight. You work your way up. So it's a very good chance that he's, he's somewhat of an aged man. And he worked his way up, stepping on the backs of other people to get there. You know, the scripture teaches us that it is God's will to prosper us. I wish above all that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. He became poor so that we would become rich. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. There's a way to get rich by God that doesn't require you to hurt other people in the process. That way there is no sorrow with it. And when Zach reached the top, he found out the top was a lonely place. Didn't have any friends in that position. I can't figure out what got him so curious about Jesus. Except what got me curious about Jesus. And maybe what got everybody in here today curious about Jesus. Why you come to church. Because there's just something great about him. There's nobody like him. Nobody like him. There's never been anybody like him, never will be. I mean, even God himself, the Father, is so obsessed with his son that everything is made by him, for him, and through him. Everything is about him. But he causes us to see life in a different way. He causes us to see ourselves in a different way. This man that would work miracles and do amazing things. And every time he came across sick people, he healed them. And when he came across dead people, he raised them from the dead. And he he provided uh, wine for a wedding. Not just a little bit of wine for a wedding. All right? Those, they fill up these pots. Fill up these pots, these clay pots for, for washing. Six of them. At least 20 gallons each. All right? 20 to 30, we'll go conservative, 20 gallons, times six is 120 
gallons of wine. Now, I've got a little problem with that, being raised in the Bible Belt. Because it says they ran out of wine. It didn't, they, they didn't ha- it wasn't that they didn't have any at all. They ran out of it. Which means they drank all of it. Uh-huh. I mean, if I'm Jesus and I'm going to step in, I'm going to go, well, they've had enough. What do you mean? They're out of, well, too bad. They don't need any more. They've got to drive home. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus is there and, and his mother says, they have no wine. He says, Woman, what is that to me? My hour's not yet come. She says, ah, do whatever he tells you to do. And like when she just spoke out by faith that he was going to fix this, Jesus said, okay, uh, yes, ma'am, fill up the water pots. Yeah. And he said, fill them to the top. And they fill up these water pots, turn them all into wine. And even the master of the house said, whoa, this is the good stuff. He said, now, normally we drink all the good stuff in front, and then we bring out the Schaefer light. <laughs> <laughs> Candace told me that was a brand of beer. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> no, then we bring out the inferior stuff after we have well drunk. But wow, you saved the best for the last. Now, why in the world did they really need 120 gallons? Why? That's not really the point. The point is Jesus wasn't, wasn't there to, 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 to make more wine. It just happened to be the need. And, and Jesus was really showing us how God meets a need. And it's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. He, con- he continually blew people's minds by how he responded, how he acted. I mean, you would think that sometimes the Pharisees would have him backed in a corner, man. They drag out that woman caught in the middle, caught in the very act of adultery, right? She's not repentant. She's not sorry about it. She's doing it. And they go in there, grab her off the bed, and they drag her out in the street, and they throw him at Jesus' feet right in the middle of her sin. I mean, the evidence is stacked against her. And Jesus said, yeah, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. All right? What he basically said, you're all in the same camp. And none of them could, he said, yeah, sure. He may want to throw a rock. Because the law says, I mean, you would think like, Jesus, what are you going to do right here? Right? He's totally unshaken. He says, yeah, you're right. The law says that. So whoever's without sin casts the first stone. Oh. So they all leave. And the only one who had the right to cast the stone didn't. Continue. Maybe Zacchaeus heard stories like this. I don't know. Overheard people talking about it. Just in the previous chapter, Jesus had just given an, a, a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a Pharisee and a tax collector and about the tax collector being justified and the Pharisee not. And the Pharisee standing there on his own merits. Thank God I'm not like this sinner, this tax collector. I tithe. I go to church. I read my Bible. I do this and I do that. And Jesus said, Then there's this tax collector who can't even look up to heaven, but beats on his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, I'll tell you, that's the one that gets justified. Maybe Zacchaeus heard that story. There was also another ruler in the previous chapter who approached Jesus on the the basis of the law. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Just tell me what to do. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. He says, all of these I've kept from my youth. Well, what a liar, first of all. 
But actually, Jesus, Jesus looked at him and loved him, the Bible says, and he says, one thing you lack. See, that's the law. That's the message of the law. You will continue to lack. As much as you try to live up to it, you will not fulfill the law, the keeping of the law. One thing you lack. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. And the man walked away sad because his money owned him. He didn't own his money. Walked away sad. And Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples freaked out when he said that. Freaked out when he said that. I don't know. By what, you know, what I was taught growing up about the disciples, these were all just poor beggars walking the earth with Jesus. When he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, you would think the poor guys would go, that's right, rich people stink. Yeah. No, they're like, <gasps> the Bible says those disciples were astonished. <gasps> well, then who can be saved? Poor people don't talk, say that. No. We've been duped so much concerning the scriptures. Right. Believing lies. So, I, I didn't actually mean to get into all that. Maybe he, got, maybe he heard these stories. I don't know, but something got this guy's curiosity up. So much so that he was willing to do something very unconventional for a man probably his age and of his his economical and his social position. He started running. He couldn't see him. I can see him back there jumping, trying to look over the people's heads. He couldn't see him because he was of short stature. Couldn't see him. So he, the Bible says he just starts running. This little guy, can you imagine those little legs just going? Picking them up and putting them down as fast as he can, man. <laughs> running. He finds this tree. Now, not only, not only is he willing to risk his reputation by his running, but now he's abandoning what it means to be an adult and just starts scurrying up this sycamore tree. Can you imagine this guy? This is a chief tax collector in the community, right? And he's got a hold of that branch, and his little legs are dangling, and he's whoa, trying to pull himself up that tree. And what is going on in this man that he is acting this way? Maybe the possibility, maybe the possibility that when Joshua is in town, anything can happen. They didn't call Jesus Jesus. That's, we got that name through Greek transliteration. His name was Joshua. Yeshua Hamashiach. Joshua the Messiah. He had heard that story, I'm sure, as a kid. About that, his hometown Jericho. Where Joshua stood there with the Israelites and watched those walls crumble, not because they fought, not because they swung a sword, but because Joshua had said something key, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But maybe, just maybe, when this Yeshua will come to town, maybe he, I don't even know if he even knew what he was looking for. I just know, apparently, by these actions, Zacchaeus was looking for something more. He was tired of the way life was. He found out that his money couldn't meet his satisfaction, his money couldn't fulfill his dreams, his, his social st status, which was apparently a lonely status, brought no meaning to his life. But he hears about this miracle worker, Glory to God. and he finds himself running to get a, a view of him, and he pops up this tree, a sycamore tree, a fig tree. And there he is, 
out on a limb, waiting to get a view of Joshua the Messiah. And in, in chapter, or verse 5, let's look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Jesus saw him. Hmm. Jesus saw him. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus. I think it's important that we all, how many of you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? He's the truth. That means he's going to tell the truth. Right? He speaks this man's name. He says, Zacchaeus. This lets us know that Jesus truly saw him because of what Zacchaeus means. Now, when the, let me just say this. When the religious leader saw him, they saw sinner. As a matter of fact, we read later on in this, just a few verses later as we, as we read earlier, they said that this man is going, uh, uh, he's going to eat with this man who is a sinner. They wouldn't even call his name. He is a man who is a sinner. Right? But Jesus stands under that tree and calls this guy's name out. Now, don't forget, if you read Luke 18, the prior verse, there's a little bit of urgency going on. He tells his disciples, I've got to get to Jerusalem because I'm going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. And, and so he's, I mean, he's on his mission. He's just almost right there at that day when he hangs on that cross. I mean, he is, his face is set there. And yet now he takes this moment in time, Zacchaeus, to deal with this guy. This scum of society. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus means pure. Everything that he did concerning his life and his career was pretty much opposite of that name. At least that was his reputation. Pure. The truth stands there and says, pure one. Now, if Jesus says it, that's the truth. Sinner, come down out of the tree. Tax collector, publican. Pure one. Pure one? What are you seeing? Do you know who this guy is? How many times do we see that throughout the scripture? If he knew what manner of man this was. If he knew what manner of woman this is. He says, come down out of that tree. Why is he telling him to come down out of that tree? Zacchaeus is doing only what he knows to do. He's just trying his best. Remember, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And he finds himself among fig leaves. He can't help that. That's in his nature. That's what his father Adam did. Adam sewed fig leaves together and thought maybe he could have an audience with God. And here this man is, a son of Adam, peeking through the fig leaves. Walls built up. 
And yet Jesus comes there with that man in that condition and says, pure one, come out of that tree. This is not how we're going to talk. This is not how, this is what's going to happen. I got to come to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. I love that. I'm coming to your house. I love it. I must stay at your house. What Jesus just did was invited himself over for dinner. Does Jesus know who he's talking to? Well, sure he does. Because it's really not about the one who's being talked about. It's really about the one who's doing the talking. So you have to decide that what Jesus says is ultimate supreme truth. Whether you feel like that's true or not, or whether you think it's true or not, it really doesn't matter. You have to decide in your heart you're going to believe what he says about you. When I was serving in a church up in Kennedale, Dad used to send me all over the Metroplex, wherever there was a need. Yeah, go over here, lead worship. Go over and preach it. We did that for a few years. I'll still go wherever he tells me to go. I just ask him not to tell me to go anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to Kennedale to help a guy by the name of Pastor Marvin. Speaking of short people, he's short too. (laughs) Pastor Marvin and Miss Debbie with their church called Liberty Church. And I was driving out there to Kennedale to lead worship. And then it ended up, I was doing it on Sunday mornings, and then it turned into Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and then the pastor there asked me if I could kind of watch the youth while I was there. I'm like, this job is, this turned into something I don't want to be a part of. And uh, until he said, I'll make it worth your while. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so I drove, I, I, I was meeting with this group of kids, like I'd lead worship, and then we'd go in this room, and I'm telling you, this is quite a group of dudes here. I don't even know if there were, I don't even remember there being any girls in this group, just maybe a handful of, handful of guys. And so we'd, I'd talk a little bit to them or we might go shoot pool or something, you know, just kind of babysitting them, you know. Um, but over time, there was just one kid named Clint in the group and I could not figure out why the kid was coming to church. All he ever did was smarted off, mouthed off, and misbehaved every time. And it wasn't because his parents made him come he had his own vehicle. He's 19 years old. He could have come, but he kept coming. That gummit, he kept coming and disrupting everything. And I really couldn't stand the kid, to be honest with you, because he just had this look about him. He just challenged everything, you know, anything, any kind of authoritative, if I tell him to do something, you know, he was going to question it or he was, you know, going to just give me a hard time about it. And this one Wednesday night, we're sitting there, and it, ra- it was raining. It was storming outside, and the power in the church went out. But we kept having church, and we're sitting back in this room. I remember it was hot. It was starting to get so hot in there, and everybody's sitting around these metal chairs in this dark room. Have a, we had a street light coming through the window. The, the street light was on, but the church power wasn't on. I don't know how that worked. But. So we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm talking. And this kid's sitting back. He's got his chair leaned back in the corner. He's like, like this, just got his arms folded. If he's not asleep, he's wanting me to think he is and very bored with what I'm saying. And I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about John 3.16. It was real simple. I was just talking about God's love and why, 
you know, that God would express such a love that he would give his own son. And when I said something along those lines, Clint opened his eyes and said, why would he do that? Just like that. Why would he do that? And I said, I don't know. Except that he goes, no. Why did he do that? I said, well, Clint, because he's good. He just chose to do it. And he said, no. Why would he do that? And he just starts bawling. And I was like, whoa, something just happened. I don't understand it. He's just crying. So I just got down there by him. I got down on the floor next to him. I said, I said, Clint, because he loves you. It's as simple as that. I said, Clint, you ready to surrender to Jesus? He said, yes. I just led him in a prayer right there, and he invited Jesus to come in his heart. I was amazed at that. All I did in that one moment was talk about how much God loved this kid and how, how good he was. And that message broke through that heart, that hard heart. I don't know what the kid had experienced. I'm sure he had had some hardships and had some things happen in his life along the way. Some walls had been built up. But that message of grace caused all those things to come tumbling down. It's the mystery of God to man. That why would God be so good? Why would he take this time and say, pure one, to this guy who is everything but in our eyes. But if the truth says it, then it's the truth. Because, see, Jesus sees us through these lenses called grace. <laughs> through, the, through Moses came the law. Through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. Truth is on the side of grace. None of his own efforts could help him live up to that name. But the moment Jesus declared him pure, it set little Zach up for a whole new experience, a whole new life. Jesus saw him. And let me say this to you. Jesus sees you today. He sees you. And when you read the scriptures, sometimes you go, how in the world does he see me like that? Does God not see what I've done? Does he not see what I do? When he says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are healed. You are forgiven. You are washed in the blood. You're redeemed. You're holy. You're a saint. And we want to try to make ourselves feel better. No, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's not in the scriptures. That's in a denomination, but that's not in the scriptures. No. No, you know, you weren't just, you just, you weren't just this old rusty car that got a new paint job, but you're still this old rusty car. You were dead in your sins, and he made you alive. You were lost, and he made you a new creation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Old things are passed away. All things have been made new. He completely changed your nature. He completely changed who you are. And what he says you are is exactly what you are. But you have to have this thing called faith to grab a hold of that word and say, okay, if that's what he says, then that's what I am. That must, if the truth is saying this, then it has to be the truth. 
then I'm going to have to let my feelings about this go. I'm going to have to let my thinking go. I'm going to have to drop my denominational tags and go with him and say what he says about me. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. See, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Colossians chapter 1. In the body of his flesh through death to present you. Check this out. He came to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. This is how God sees you. Now, I know you might feel like God sees you another way, but the scripture says he sees you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And all we have to do is simply believe what Jesus says. Now, I want you to notice this. He sees you. And then number two, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. He welcomed him. Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus by welcoming himself to Zacchaeus' house. He welcomed him. He welcomed you by inviting himself to come and be with you. Hallelujah. He he welcomed you by being just like you, actually. God became a man. The Word became flesh. And by that action, he showed us God welcomes all of us. Jesus welcomes all of you here today. Dr. Richard Selzer, he wrote a book called Mortal Lessons, and it was about what he learned from dealing with people in the worst kind of situations. He wrote about an incident where he had to remove a tumor from a young woman's face and actually had to cut a little twig of a nerve in her face to save her life, but in so doing, it caused her mouth to twist up with palsy. And when she saw herself that way, grateful that she was alive, she said, is this how I'm going to be forever for the rest of my life? He said, I cut the nerve. And as she was trying to take this information in, her husband didn't, the doctor said, I stood there amazed and watched him with his eyes fixed on his wife, who chuckled a little bit and said, it's okay. I kind of think it's cute. And he watched in amazement as this husband bent down over his wife and twisted his own mouth to match hers to show her that they could still kiss. See, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for you. He met you at your condition. He became what you were so that you could become what he is. This beautiful exchange that we sang about. He became sin and we became righteous. I don't know why he did it, but I sure am glad he did. I sure am glad that he was mangled. I'm sure I'm glad that he was twisted up and met me right where I was so that I could become a new creation in Christ. You are a new creation. He welcomes you today by becoming like you. By coming to be with you. By coming to dwell with you forever and ever. And now he's seated at that place called heaven at the right hand of the throne of God, ensuring that all men have access to God. The fact that there is a man seated at God's right hand, yes, don't make any mistake, he is God. But he is still man. He is the son of God and he is the son of man. Matter of fact, he even told Paul, I'm from Nazareth. 
Paul said, who are you, Lord? When he was there with that bright light knocked off of his donkey, he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Well, he wasn't t- saying this from Nazareth. He's saying this from heaven. And yet he's still identifying with that little, home, little town there called Nazareth. Yes. Letting us all know that we all have access to him. He still identifies with us. He's our mediator between God and man. The book of Timothy teaches us the man, Christ Jesus. And as long as he is there, ladies and gentlemen, I have a feeling he's going to be there a long time. As long as he's there, Amen. we're there too. As long as he's there, we have access. Amen. Good word. Yeah. Hallelujah. The word became flesh, and he stayed that way. He welcomed himself to Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus, and I want you to notice what Zacchaeus did. He jumped out of that tree quickly and received him joyfully this ought to be all this this is this is the heart of a sinner who at that moment believes God I mean because if I mean if he's going to stay in that condition if he's only going to see himself as a sinner then he would have fallen at his feet said no 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 I'm not worthy for you to come to my house Zacchaeus said yeah you're coming to my house fantastic he received him joyfully. This ought to be the heart of all of us that never forget how, how wonderful the experience of salvation is that God, he sees us and he welcomes us. This ought to keep you full of joy all the time. Hallelujah. Remember the disciples, tried, they were joyful about them casting out demons. They came back and reported, wow, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me give you an eternal thing to get a hold of because you're not going to be casting devils out every day. And if your joy is contingent upon that, well, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. But the fact that your name is written in heaven can give you a good day every day. Set your joy on that eternal thing. Zacchaeus is over. Ah, yes. He takes him to his house. They have dinner. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. I'm going to have to say right here that he changed him. Jesus changed him. That that meeting, Jesus sitting in the house. Now think about this. He approached this guy before in in Luke chapter 18 on the terms of the law, but here, here he faces this tax collector on the terms of grace. He simply comes over and has dinner with him And it completely changes the guy's life. We have no no scriptures teaching us that Jesus is going, now you did real bad here and shame, shame, shame on you. You shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. You see, I'm coming to your house. And they're sitting there eating dinner. And Zacchaeus is taking all this in. (sighs) He called me by name. He's in my house. Mm -hmm. This changes everything. All of a sudden, all that money, all those things I'd accumulated by myself mean nothing to me. Paul said, everything that I've done in this life, I count it all as dung compared to the knowledge of Christ. Because when I gained him, I got everything. I got everything that my heart was crying out for. I got everything that I was dreaming for. He fulfilled everything. Every empty void, every void there in my heart, he filled it up. Everything that I was looking for, everything that I was searching for, everything that I was trying this to get, everything that I was working on that to get, none of it, it, none of it could do it. But this Savior in my house changes everything. And he said, look, Lord, 
And Jesus said, salvation's come to this house today. For he's also, not because this man decided to start selling his goods not, not, or giving to the poor, not because this man started returning fourfold, but because of one key word, one key word that we find throughout the scripture where people who are seemingly written off by society, as I began with the woman with the, with, caught in adultery, when Jesus stood over her, the only one who had the right to throw the stone, said, where are your, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none. Lord, that word changed everything. When she recognized and confessed him as Lord, he said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. That word, that recognition that Jesus is master of all changes everything. Well, you got to confess your sins and then turn from them and then, and then you can understand that you are a sinner and you're so far from God that way that now you know that you need a Savior. Well, hey, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not about believing if I can get all my sins confessed, then I'll be okay. Then that's all about you. It's about confessing Jesus as Lord. And when you confess him as Lord, ladies and gentlemen, what you have just confessed is I am unable to save myself. I am putting all my trust in him. Confessing Jesus as Lord is the ultimate confession of sin. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that's, at that moment, that miracle takes place. Religion has changed, always clouding that up. It's, It's just a simple faith in Christ. I'll finish with this story. About five or six years ago, we had a, uh, our kids were doing this trash cleanup. And uh, they were going around to different businesses and getting sponsorships. And uh, the more money you gave, the bigger you were able to put your name on the T-shirt. They were, they were making these T-shirts for this trash cleanup and going around these businesses, getting these sponsorships. They put, you, know, you know how that works, and getting the name on there. Well, we ended up having a really big name on <laughs> this particular year, Cowboys uh, Tattoo Parlor. Uh, it was the biggest name on there because he gave the most money. They found this guy over off industrial and, and who was the biggest donor that year. So I thought, well, man, that was really kind. So I went over there and wanted to just tell him thank you for his donation. He, you know, he said, yeah, I like to help kids out. Rough looking dude. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Anybody know Cowboy? And as I'm in there, as I'm in there, I'm looking around, and I remember that years before, I'd gotten this tattoo on my arm that I just didn't like, and I wanted it fixed. First of all, it was real small. I had a guy tell me one time, you almost didn't get a tattoo. That's, I mean, that's how little it was. And so I had, I had a t-shirt, and I lifted that up. I said, can you fix this? And he said, man, that looks like a postage stamp on a boxcar. He said, what do you want? I said, I don't know. I'd like to just maybe just make, put a cross there. Can you fix that? He said, yeah, we can fix that. I said, I don't really want anything that's in your little posters here. Can you? And he said, I got a girl right here that's an artist. She'll draw something up. 
So she did. And so I came back that afternoon. They called me and said it was ready. They wanted me to look at her drawing. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. That'll work. So Cowboy set me in his chair <laughs> and started working on me, started making, putting, putting this cross on my arm. And I got to know Cowboy pretty quick by the words that were coming out of his mouth. Not real friendly words, not the kind of words you want women and children around, and men, or men. <laughs> Any of they're just not appropriate. He's just talking, you know, he's just shooting the breeze and small talk, his small talk. And I was just listening to him. You know, and about halfway through it, he says, so uh, what do you do? What do you do for a living? I said, I'm, I'm a preacher. He just laughed out loud. He said, well, I don't get too many of your kind in here. I said, I bet you don't. And then the atmosphere changed for a moment as this bitterness started coming out. He said, yeah, my dad supposedly found religion on his deathbed. Treated me terribly as a young man. I'm not, now I'm cleaning this up for you. My brothers and sisters, I saw what kind of daddy he was. He abused us, didn't provide for us, was a hard man all of his life, didn't even want anything to do with this. And then he's dying and on his deathbed, he finds Jesus. Well, I have a hard time believing that that can happen. I have a hard time believing that that man is not burning in hell. Well, I think he, that's what he deserves. I was like, whew. I said, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand that you feel that way for a reason. He said, you're putting a cross on my arm. I said, you know the story about that? He said, I've heard it. I said, you know that Jesus didn't hang there all by himself. There were two other guys that were there with him, one on each side of him. They are both thieves. Matter of fact, they had spent all their lives living for themselves and stealing from other people. And now here's this thief on this cross hanging on these nails, which he deserves it, paying for his crime. And he has the audacity to look over to Jesus, who's also suffering and dying to try to get audience with him to look his way by saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I said, do you know what Jesus said to him? What'd he say? I said, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The cowboy ducked his head just like this. I said, maybe I ought to be more like Jesus. I said, yeah, we all need to be more like Jesus. And he went back to marking on my arm. I saw an incredible change happen in a man who was hard and bitter, walls built up from hurt and rejection, all those kinds of things that we tend to defend ourselves against over time. And yet, just hearing about this love that we cannot even wrap our minds around, hearing about this grace 
that supersedes a lifetime of sin causes all of us to change. It causes all of us to just say, I don't know why you're so good, but I'm glad you are. And I receive you. And whatever I need to do, I'm going to do for you. See, Jesus is, you are to him everything. Let him be everything to you. Amen. Jesus saw, saw when he said, Lord, look. At that moment, Zacchaeus had crowned Jesus the Lord of his life. That means that whatever he did after that had great significance. This guy was going to get rich a whole nother way. He was going to get rich God's way. Don't forget, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and God's not going to owe man, any man anything. I'll give them 50%. If I've wronged anybody, I'll give them fourfold. Jesus said, yeah. Now your life means something. There you are, pure one. What I said you were from the very beginning. There you are. You accept his word. You accept his promise. You accept his grace. Then you become what he says that you are. You can be who he says you are, and you can do what he says you can do. Jesus Christ sees you, he welcomes you, and he changes you. Yes, amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad all of you are here, and I believe that you're here by divine design. However you got here, I ultimately believe that it was God's plan for this moment right here. All of us need this grace. All of us need to come to the place in our life where we recognize, okay, this is what he says, and that's what I believe. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. The gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. For those of you that are here today, you've heard this message, and you feel somewhat like Zacchaeus did. Something stern on the inside of you. Something stern. You know God's dealing with you. You know he's talking to you. And I want to invite you to make a decision just like Zacchaeus did to joyfully receive Jesus into your house today. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone will hear me and open that door, I will come in, me and my Father, and we will dine together. Are you here today? Are you here today on the outside? Are you here today out on a limb? wanting to have that experience with Jesus. Are you here? Between me and you and God, if you would just lift a hand and say, please pray for me. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Father, you see these hands that have been raised here, Lord. They're reaching out to you by faith. Reaching out to you. And I thank you, Lord, that you were looking for, you've been looking for them all along. Even as you said there, the Son of God came to seek and to save. 
And at this moment, they've come in contact with you. Their hearts have opened up to say, yeah, I want you. I want you at my house. I want you in my life. I want that change. I want to leave this place knowing that you're with me all the time. I want to leave this place knowing that all my sins are washed away, clean, that I'm free from the chains of my past, free from the chains of what I've done, the regret. You take that from me, I receive that. I want to have everybody at this moment, if you would, just pray this prayer. All of, all of you here today, it is your faith in God that saves you. It's your faith in Christ, faith, faith in His grace. Scriptures teach us Whoever confesses Jesus is Lord, can we all just do this? Say, God, I've heard the message. I have heard the gospel today. And I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again three days later. And right now, I welcome Jesus into my home, into my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I confess you are Lord of my life. Right now, all the old things are gone and all the new things have come. I am a child of God. Thank you, Lord. And I give you the rest of my life. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for locations and events. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church.